Worldview Discussions Lesson 35. We are down to the last two people. Fantastic. Hey, I got a friend. I got a friend. And this friend's a bit odd. He one time used laughing gas as deodorant. I mean, he just smelled funny the whole day. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what should we talk about? Any thoughts? Anybody? I got an idea. Let's talk about how everything is going to go down when Jesus returns. So the flow of thought here has been we've been in the category of destiny, and we've been thinking about how the kingdom has has come in part, Jesus announced um, in Mark 1, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. But Jesus went back up to heaven. And yet we read throughout scripture in the New Testament that Jesus is returning. So I want to spend a few minutes talking about Jesus's return and what what scripture says about his return. (laughs) Uh, And and, uh, I know there's a lot of debates and differences here, but I think we can hit some high points. And it makes sense for us to reflect on the return of Jesus because my goodness, every New Testament author thought about the return of Jesus. And it seems like it is the engine that drives our ethics today. And so let's talk a little bit about the return of Jesus. And I'd like to use the four contexts as a way to frame this discussion. Do you remember the reader's context, the historical context, the literary context, and the whole Bible context? So let's start with the reader's context. If you remember, I liken the reader's context to luggage that you take on a trip. And sometimes the luggage we bring is helpful. Sometimes we got to get rid of some stuff. So when you think about, let's say, the book of Revelation, we could, we could think about Revelation here. Ten ideas that come to mind when you think about the book of Revelation, or maybe five, or maybe think of three ideas that you have. Maybe push pause and think of three or five ideas. Ready? Go. Okay. So then if you were to think about those ideas, that gives you some kind of a sense of what you're anticipating when you turn to a book like like Revelation. Maybe your idea is that it's about the end of the world. And so if that's the case, if Revelation is about war and destruction and the end of the world, one question we could ask is, what about the relevancy of that letter to the original recipients, right? If what comes to mind are all of the fantastical images in Revelation, then maybe we've got to think a little bit about what's going on with all those images. Why are they there? If warfare is something that came to mind for you, um, we want to ask ourselves, 
how does Jesus showing up as a warrior relate to Jesus on the cross? I think that's a good thing to think about. And maybe your idea had something to do with the rapture, that God is rapturing us out of here. And so maybe we want to ask ourselves, is that even present in Revelation? Uh, where does this rapture idea come from? So let's let's touch on that. And let's think a little bit about that millennium in Revelation 20 as well, that thousand years. And along the way, we'll highlight ways that people read Revelation and and we'll just hit some high points and say, what what does everybody agree upon in spite of the diversity of ideas and interpretive approaches? What does everybody agree on? So there you go. Let's, let's get into some historical context, okay? And I, I like to say that historical context is kind of like a passport because a passport gets you entrance into that country, right? It also allows you to get back into your country. But a passport will allow you to get into another country. And I, I like to think of it that way because I, I think if I learn the background information about a book of the Bible, like the author, the audience, the, the situation, then I can gain access into their world and understand why a book of the Bible was written. And then I think that's going to help me properly apply um, God's word to our lives today. So let's start with this. Let's do Let's do a little quiz. All right. Who wrote the book of Revelation? Okay, go ahead. On three, everybody. One, two, three. John. Yeah, that's right. You got it. John, at verse nine of chapter one, says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So John, apparently, because of he, his testimony, he was sharing about Christ, he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos. And there is some debate as to whether this is the John who wrote the Gospels or not, but we'll just leave it there and say it was John. So when was this written? Uh, well, just like everything else in Revelation, there's debate there. So, I mean, my goodness, you're going to get people who say in the, in the 60s all the way up to the 90s. So, and if you were to ask me, I would say, I have no idea. I have no idea. I might lean later on after 80 AD, 85 AD, um, but uh, I will just leave that to the discussion of the scholars. So where, where was, was this written? Or maybe to who are the recipients and where are the recipients? Okay, so how about who are the recipients? On three, ready? One, two, three. The seven churches. That's right. You got it. You got it. Nice job. Nice job. Give a high five to the neighbor to your right or to your left. Nice job. And if there's no one there with you and you're all alone, no worries. Just give yourself a high five. The seven churches. These were real churches. Seven, I think, is interesting and there's more going on there. But these are real church communities. If you read chapters two and three of Revelation, you can tell that truly this th these were real communities 
that we're being challenged by John in this letter to not compromise in their faith as they follow Jesus in a Roman culture that is opposed to King Jesus. Um, they, they live in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey is, is where they're at. So uh, here's a few key events that may have been before uh, Revelation was written. So 64 AD, Emperor Nero persecutes Christians in Rome. This is when Peter and Paul were killed. 70 AD is really significant. That's the destruction of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And the Jews at that point started calling Rome Babylon. Isn't that interesting? Because Babylon becomes a major theme in Revelation. Jews and Christians started to be seen as separate groups to the Romans. Um, in 81 AD, Domitian, Emperor Domitian, reinstated the imperial cult, which is worship of the emperor. And Christians started calling Domitian the beast, 81 AD. Mm. So some of that would maybe lend itself to a later date for when this was written, but there's a little, a little historical context for you. All right, let's get into it. A little literary context now. So literary context is like a tour guide, remember? So you finally arrive at your vacation spot and you need help getting around. And I want to say, when I open up Revelation, <laughs> we, we all need help getting around, don't we? Um, and of course, the, the best thing to always do with the book of the Bible is start at the beginning and read all the way through. And if you do that with Revelation, there are so many things that are going to be helped by you doing that. And, and Revelation will answer some of your questions sometimes if, if you do that. I, I understand. Not all of them. So a couple... A couple key ideas that I want to hit at uh, from Revelation. We'll, we'll circle back around to these. It seems like Revelation's explaining Jesus is going to destroy spiritual rebels once for all. The, the spiritual evil that is behind the Babylons of this world is finally going to be dealt with. And what you have in Revelation at the end, it's so cool, is the new Jerusalem coming down in opposition to that Babylon, that, that system of injustice that humans make. They make cities um, on the backs of slavery and injustice. And, and there's a new Jerusalem coming with a new king in which people will experience freedom and joy and restoration and healing and and of course, God's presence. So those also who are opposed to Jesus will experience God's wrath and they'll be handed over to their, their choices, the consequences of their choices. I'll talk more about that in a little bit. And then heaven and earth, this incredible theme of heaven and earth being reunited, God's kingdom being fully established on earth. So let's think about what is Revelation as a type of literature? Well, often it's identified as an apocalypse. And it's true, it is an apocalypse. Um, but it's, it's actually mainly a letter. It's a letter that John's writing to these seven churches. He's exhorting them. He's encouraging them. And isn't it interesting, in, in Revelation 1, it says, blessed is the one who reads this book. 
<laughs> I know there's a lot of you who think, I don't feel blessed when I read this book. Uh, or maybe you don't read the book because you think you won't be blessed by it. But there's actually a promise in, in verse 4, uh, 3 rather, of chapter 1. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So Revelation's a letter, and it, it's also a prophecy. It's a prophecy because it's a, a, a call by a prophet, in this case John, to challenge the people to repent and to stay faithful to God. That's really what prophecy is about. I know we think of prophecy as future-oriented stuff, and that's just not really what, it, what it's all about. Old Testament prophets were covenant law enforcement mediators. Their job was to say, people, what are you doing? Turn, repent, go the other way, be faithful to Yahweh. And that's what John's doing here with the churches. But it's also uh, an apocalypse. And interestingly, we, we think of the word apocalypse and we think it means end of the world. But an apocalypse is an unveiling, a revealing. And in this case, when we think of Revelation, it's an unveiling or a revealing of heaven's perspective on earthly events. It's heaven's perspective. So it's like the curtain is peeled open and you see the way heaven sees things. And I think one of the major elements of that is how spiritual evil, real spiritual beings are the source behind the evil and injustice in this world. The real enemy is not another human, but spiritual, spiritual evil, right? And death is spiritual evil's weapon. And Jesus came to conquer that enemy and death. And oh man, what do you get in Revelation 1? And, and you read it later too, but it's Jesus. And what does Jesus have? He has the keys of death and Hades. He has the keys of death and Hades, we read in chapter 1. So he has, he has, through the cross, achieved victory. So literary context, one, one more thing to mention here. One major common feature of apocalyptic literature in the first century, and I know it's weird to think there were more uh, letters and documents like Revelation, but there were. One key feature are symbols. And I would like to suggest that a great illustration would be political cartoons today. That when you look at a political cartoon, you are seeing something that's making a claim that there's, there's a truth element to that claim. There's a cultural connection too. And that's what's going on with Revelation. There are symbols here that have cultural and religious connections to their world. But it's presenting a truth that is true for them, the, the, the original recipients, but also for you and me. There's a truth there. So I want to say we want to look at these symbols and find what is really true, but at the same time recognize that we want to be careful to not take these things literally. Okay? So tons of animals and numbers and colors. So, and I, I'd like to push this so far as to say I don't, I don't think any 
anything in Revelation is to be taken literally in terms of the images that are seen. But there's a literal truth that's being represented by those images. So I'll explain that uh, further with some examples. So let's start with one. In Revelation 5, you have Jesus appearing as a lamb. And he is able to take the scrolls that God is holding. And he's able to open the seven seals of the scrolls. And, and what, what happens after Revelation 5, all the way up to Revelation 20, is the arrival of God's kingdom through Jesus, the Lamb, beginning to open these seals. And um, over and over again, you see the world facing the consequences of its choices and this theme of the kingdom of God, God's presence, which appears in Revelation 4 of the throne room presence of God, it returns to the earth. It arrives on earth many times throughout Revelation. I'd like to suggest that this is because Revelation should not be read in a linear chronological way, but rather uh, think of it as um, maybe this diagram where there's a circle in the middle that says the kingdom of God has come. And around that circle are other circles with lines connected to the big circle, right? And it's all these different ways of explaining how God's kingdom is going to come. And you have Jesus uh, appear as a lamb. And we know Jesus is not a lamb. But we know the significance of a lamb in the Old Testament with Passover and the Day of Atonement. How he is the one who has conquered because he shed his blood. And so a song is sung about Jesus who has purchased us by his blood. And he conquers by dying for us. And it's this incredible image. And you have the lamb, Jesus, which is a symbol, you see, juxtaposed against the dragon and spiritual evil that is behind Babylon. And Revelation 12 is a place that highlights spiritual evil coming to attack um, the woman who wants to give birth to the child. And it's, boy, what a, what a chapter Revelation 12 is. But the dragon's unable to, and the child is, is caught up to heaven. And, and I think these are explanations of, of Jesus here. But these symbols are all over the place. Now, some might say, hold on, what about the rapture? What's going on there? And, uh, oh, looks like I'm at 19 minutes, time's up, so let's pray. I'm totally kidding. Uh, but I'll, I'll be short here because i got to finish up. Well, some are going to say Revelation 4, John being caught up to heaven, is a reference to the rapture. Um, I, I don't see that there. I think that's reading that into the text. If you're interested in thinking about this idea of the rapture, you want to go to 1 Thessalonians 4. And it has this description of people being caught up in the air to meet Jesus with his holy ones. And I think that's a reference to those who had died beforehand. So some are going to say that Jesus will be going back up into heaven at that point. Others are going to say Jesus is returning 
back to earth, that the, there is no real rapture event of, of meeting in the sky and going back up to heaven. So there, there's a place where I think you'd want to go to think about revelation, uh, sorry, of the rapture. Well, what about, um, let's talk about the millennium in Revelation 20 real quick. What's going on there? Some are going to say that that's a literal 1,000 years in the future. And the pre there, that, that prefix pre, refers to when Jesus will return. He returns pre, before the millennium. And it's a future literal 1,000 years. Others are going to say, uh, like ah millennialism, that it's symbolic, that 1,000 years. And it represents that Jesus is reigning. Some will say in the hearts of the church now. Others uh, are going to argue that Jesus is reigning in heaven uh, with the martyred believers. And it's a symbolic thousand years that's happening now. And it's been happening since Jesus's ascension into heaven. I think the big issue for you moving forward is to say, how do I connect these verse, these uh, visions together? Do I see them all in a linear chronological way? And then this happened, and then this happened. Or is it to be understood in a re repetition uh, kind of way? That the fancy word is recapitulation, where it's different explanations and angles on basically the same ideas. So one, one further thing to talk about is judgment. So we have, it seems, God many times throughout Revelation bringing judgment upon people, whether it's the sixth seal, trumpet, or bowl, or so forth. We have people confronted, and the devil, the beast, the false prophet are judged, and so are humans. And there's a lot to process here, and I don't have time for it. Maybe it could be some other podcast. But I think one of the things that I want to highlight here is how we view this judgment, even in Revelation 20 uh, and even 19. And I would like to suggest that the, the battle itself is symbolic. I think everything is symbolic in Revelation. And I think... It's difficult, personally, to say a bunch of things are symbolic, but these couple things are not. I struggle to see the consistency there. So I don't actually think that Revelation is referring to a literal battle that will take place in the future. But I do think it's, it's making very clear that Jesus will return. That is literally true. And that he's going to confront... Um, all who are opposed to the kingdom of God. So Jesus shows up in Revelation 19 and he has a sword coming out of his mouth, which is rooted in a, in a passage in Isaiah. And it seems like that's highlighting Jesus's authority to speak truth and to confront, but it clearly isn't a literal sword that he's going to use to draw blood from other people. In fact, his robe is bloodied before the battle even begins, which is an interesting thing to think about. So let's wrap it up um, with 
with the good stuff at the end. Revelation 21, 22. It's not the end of the world. It's the beginning of a new world. God's presence and God's kingdom arrive on earth. My favorite verse, guys, in the Bible is Revelation 21, 3. Sorry, I'm going long, but this is good stuff. My favorite verse, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And we get all these symbols again. The bride, the new Jerusalem, new creation, a garden, the tree, uh, all these different symbols, ways to talk about this new reality that God's presence is finally with us. Uh, temple as as God's presence. There isn't even a temple, it says, because God is fully there. And these, this is, is what our hope is in, right? This is our destiny. Our destiny is not um, living in some disembodied heaven somewhere. Our hope is that God is going to restore this world. And somehow we are participating even now in that work of God bringing restoration to this world as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. So hopefully, I know that's a lot, um, but hopefully there was some encouragement for you guys. Next time, it's our last lesson. See you then.